Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Mindset Entrepreneur video podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest, uh, the founder, president, and creative director of Image4, Jeff Baker. Jeff, great to have you. Good morning. Thanks for having now, me. I have to tell our audience, you are in for a treat today. Now, I'm not kidding. I, this guy is so amazing and so worldly. I don't know whether to call him a renaissance man. I don't know whether to call him redefine jack of all trades to Jeff of all trades. But this guy is a very special guy. So you're in for quite the story today. Jeff, I got to tell you, um, you are the first guest we've ever had who teaches and actually experiences performing dri- performance driving, travels the world internationally playing flute, and also builds immersive marketing solutions for corporations. So I never had that triumvirate of... Uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect anyone would have it. I'm not sure how I got here. <laughs> so Jeff, I would love to start. You really are a really uh, fascinating individual. I'd love for you to start a little bit about what got you into uh, Image4 and becoming su- a, an entrepreneur at such a young age. Sure. Just kind of where that passion came from. It began, I think, when... My dad gave me a camera. I was maybe 11 years old and was fascinated, just just loved photography, spent a bunch of years as a, as a child getting better at photography. It kind of stuck. And one thing led to another. I worked for a local newspaper, ended up out at RIT with an opportunity to study photography. Got a great education. It's a, it's a fantastic school. Came back to New England, uh, too much snow in Rochester, and, and uh, took a job at a photo lab back when all images were processed in chemicals uh, in Kodak Nashua, New Hampshire. Like, Kodak was still a household Kodak name? Kodak was a household name. Okay. 137,000 people employed, and now okay. today they're selling Bitcoin, right? <laughs> yeah, yep. So, <laughs> so uh, ended up in Nashua, New Hampshire, um, working for uh, a commercial photography lab in Nashua. Lasted a couple of years. The, the company was challenged. Uh, I ended up getting laid off and uh, got employed uh, mid-January with, uh, with a startup photo lab in Manchester, New Hampshire, just up the road. Second year of working there, uh, my paycheck started bouncing. The, uh, the folks at Kodak weren't shipping to us anymore. <laughs> we had to pay them up front. The guy who started it was a great salesperson, but not really a great businessman. August or September of 86, the landlord of our space uh, connected with me and said, hey, you know, what's up over there? And I said, well, you know, my check's bouncing and uh, you probably ought to get your money. Long story short, uh, Rick was an entrepreneur uh, five times over. Um, Fascinating, fascinating guy at at 40. And kind of took me under his wing and, and shared a tremendous amount of real-world business knowledge, everything from what to look for in a balance sheet and, and, and how to evaluate an opportunity and what was really stinky in the, in the P&L of the company I was working for and, and just really, really the nuts and bolts of how we were going to save this company. And he looked over at me one day and said, so you think you can save it? And I, being 25 and naive, said, sure. Wow. And that's how that started. So 25 years old, you were given, and yes, you had the education. You took the time to learn and invest and understand. But at 25 years old, any trepidation at that point for you? What, what was the risk, really? <laughs> you know, that's a really good question. I think at the time, I was tired of job hopping. 
uh, I'd had, you know, maybe eight jobs in six years, and that, that tended to be the photo lab industry and the photography industry. Maybe it was arrogance, maybe it was ignorance, maybe it was just commitment, but I felt fairly convinced that I could do this myself. And part of that was surely ignorance, because I surely didn't understand the financial aspects of running a business, managing cash flow, um, accruing capital, paying out all the vendors we owned, you know, a lot of pragmatic things that you you just don't learn until you do it. Or, or until someone is willing to share that with you. So, Jeff, you described Image 4 as we're interior designers that use buildings to market. And, you know, I, I'm not familiar with a lot of, I mean, this, I know there's companies out there that do it, but could you talk about what differentiates your approach at Image 4 and what makes you so successful? I think our core differentiation is that we start from uh, a human perspective. Everything that we design starts with the question, how is the human interacting in this space? And is followed by the next question, what do we desire the human to be doing at this point? So we're, we're looking at the end results, the end result, and, and we're really going right into the core of human behavior. Um, what, what's our root mental programming? You know, we, we, we all respond to an abrupt uh, interface, whether it's a bright flash or a noise or something. This is core human response. When we design a space, we're looking at that core human response, um, programmed or, or social human response, I think the majority of folks in the design space, uh, both, both buildings and, and, and experience design, are not as focused on the root of human behavior yeah. and how that drives the experience. Jeff, I mean, that's exactly what's going through my head right now. Like, when I think of interior design, I think of aesthetics. You know, I think of how, how aesthetically, and I think of, like, my home or interior mm-hmm. designers that, mm-hmm. you know. And what you're talking about is such a foreign concept but it's what we should be talking about. I, I feel like you've nailed that. It's managing space to manage experience. Wow. Exactly. And great designers have it. Great architectural designers, great space designers. Uh, you know, you look at I.M. Pei and, and, and his building uh, outside the Louvre, and he's managing the inter- interaction of that audience, not only with what's in that building, but with the entire surrounding. I think that's what's evident to me, and I'm sure to our viewers watching this at home, is your uh, unbridled passion for what you do. Because to see your eyes light up as you were talking about someone you admire who is very established, obviously, and reputable, that's, that's always great to see. Jeff, you know, I, I, you know we, I opened the program by talking about your uh, diversity of, of interest, but I also want to talk about the diversity of projects you've worked on. I know you just completed a... Uh, King Tut exhibit in Los Angeles, which is going on, what, a five-year international tour, correct? Correct, correct. And that was for IMG. Right. Right? You've also designed the Super Bowl experience. Correct. Right? Uh, The retail space for the Super Bowl. And then Mm -hmm. you've also done work for Zumba, right? Mm -hmm. So between King Tut, I don't think, again, I don't think you see those three things said. (laughs) King Tut, Super Bowl, and Zumba in the same phrase. Right. 
And at the experience level, they're all very, very, very different. As you move up through the thought process, all of them are about understanding the brand and what the brand wants to deliver to its visitor or to its prospect or to whatever constituent we're designing for. What is the brand value? How does that brand value translate into experience? And how can we design the space to deliver the experience that enhances the brand value? And you said you're not limited by industry. So what, you, what I wanted to talk about a little bit is you do trade shows and you do pop-up retail shops and things like that. And I wanted you to maybe share um, a project or two you've done and what it is that you did for them so people can feel like it's not just, hey, I don't, I don't work for IMG, but you're, you're very <laughs> approachable for right. any kind right. of industry. So, for instance, um, trade show exhibit, uh, Casa Systems, uh, uh, IT firm up in Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, 600-square-foot exhibit, you know, 20 by 30. Client came to us uh, with some really distinct needs. Uh, they needed conference space to have private conversations. They needed a lot of demo space where, where uh, their customers could walk in and get hands-on uh, their technology. Uh, they needed some training space in that, in that environment. Three uses in the exhibit footprint, and conceivably they conflict. Part of what we do as designers is to manage that conflict using our entire toolbox. So, for instance, we would use lighting design to highlight the demo area. You know, brighten that, have people drawn to that with light and color. We would perhaps use um, uh, structural design or interior design techniques in the conference room where we change the space in the conference area, especially the flooring. Uh, you know, we, we might have a more rigid, uh, faster-moving flooring out in the exhibit space, but we want people to slow down and feel comfortable in the conference space. So we change that to a carpet, perhaps. Maybe we change that wall texture from rigid panels and, and bright colors to a little more subdued, you know, a little more subtle. Get your mind to slow down. Even, even in a 600-square-foot space, these are, these are things that we bring forward. Well, into the naked eye, whether it's the wall texture, the lighting, the carpeting, those nuances, I don't think most people could pick up. But that's what's fascinating about what you do because you've studied these behavioral tendencies and doing these little nuances to change the dynamic is what it's all about because that's what you're trying to create, correct? Correct, correct. We go through life every day and we're programmed to respond to these things right. and we don't even know it. Right. We don't even know it. Next time you walk into a retail space, stop at the entrance of the door and look at the floor surface and then look into the building to the floor surface and you'll see it change. And there's a physical and mental and emotional reason for that to happen, as well as practical wipe your feet off. It slows you down. Yep. So, Jeff, I would think that you must have a lot of companies. What, how do people find you? And I don't mean your website. I mean, if I was going to Google to find image four mm. to really know, like, where do I start? Like, what's, what are the keywords? What is the, what is the things I'm thinking about to locate someone right. like you? I, I think... It depends a little bit on which vertical we're working in. Okay. But uh, people think of us as interior designers. 
and and we and we are, and and, and we we just take it from a different point of view and, and a little deeper. So interior design is one one way of finding it. So retail design, if you're if you're in retail, we do a fair amount of um, specialty retail work, pop up shops and and uh, and things like that. If you're in the banking industry, bank design, uh, and and we okay. for some reason have a tremendous tremendous amount of uh, bank design work we do. If you're in the trade show industry, you're pretty much searching on exhibit design. Uh, we're unusual in that we have both a design practice and a production facility. So we're vertically integrated. We, we conceive and we design, and then we fabricate what we've heard the customer wants to have implemented. We find it streamlined. Uh, uh, it builds very easily because we know what we're capable of building. We're quality nuts. Uh, uh, we, are, we are meticulous. Uh, we're, we're really fussy. And that's given us an ability to control the quality of our project and control the timing of our project to support our customers' needs. So I'm sitting in my office and I'm thinking, okay, I need a new booth exhibit space. I need some new retail space for my company or location, whatever. Are there any other high-level buckets of needs besides exhibit space or retail space that I'm leaving out? The design concepts are maturing. As we go further up the design thought process, people are starting to search for and understand this thing that we call experience design. And we're really thinking as experienced designers, even though we're practicing physical. So as a you know, web company talks about experience design, and they do that in that web space. We talk about experience design, and we do it in a three-dimensional space. Mm. So really, the, the market doesn't matter to us. The vertical market doesn't matter to us. There's things we won't design for. I don't design for cigarette companies, for instance. But... If you connect with your customers or your prospects in a three-dimensional space and you want to or need to manage your customer's experience in that space, and you should, then we can help you by thinking about what that experience should be and how to use that experience to build brand value or to move your customer through a path to purchase or to teach them something, say, in a museum. So really, it's experience design manifested physically. Yeah, and it seems like you're, you're helping on the strategy end and you're helping on the execution end on both ways. We are. We're not a strategic agency by any stretch. We, we focus specifically on human interaction and space. But if you have a brand strategy or a product release strategy, we, underst- we will take the time to understand what you need out of that and how our project supports what that strategic project is. Okay, and and so when I think about that, you know, your approach to interior design being around behavior and engagement as opposed to aesthetics, the one other thing I wanted to cover while you're here with us today, Jeff, is we we talked before you came on the air about some of your core values, and I was really, thought it was really telling of the person you are. You talked about your, perform, your passion for performance racing and teaching performance racing, but you said something that totally caught me off guard. You talked about what you've learned 
from doing that and, and your core value around listening and understanding others and how communication styles are so critical. And I think, again, that's not something you would necessarily expect <laughs> to hear from an interior designer of immersive locations, but it really speaks to what your priorities are in, in engaging with human beings. And I want you to chat about that and, a little bit. And, and at this point, I, put on, I take off my designer hat and I put on my CEO hat. I'm privileged and blessed. Um, at 25, a, a multi-entrepreneur trusted me uh, when I said, sure, I can save this business and knew nothing <laughs> and spent several years sharing his wisdom and teaching me the capacity that I needed to be successful. Other people have shared uh, their value and, and their expertise with me and, and that has taught me that value can be found everywhere. Um, keep your eyes and ears open. It's also impressed on me that this is something I need to give back. And I'm, I'm passionate about running a values-based business. Um, our core values include support and sharing and uh, trust uh, and respect. And I think treating people in that fashion and uh, both as, as staff members, as colleagues, and as clients uh, may be another differentiator for us because we're, we're, we're passionate about bringing our clients' visions, their, their dreams, into life, into three-dimensional reality. And we cannot do that unless we listen. And one of the things that, that teaching high-performance driving has taught me is to listen. You know, at, a, at 120 miles an hour, I, I've, got a, I've got a tenth or two-tenths of a second to listen to that student's breathing or uh, just understand how that person's interacting with the vehicle and, and make an adjustment so that we're successful and we make that turn instead of hitting that wall. Well, Jeff, i got to tell you, one of the reasons I started this Mindset Entrepreneur video podcast is because I wanted to share stories and hear other stories from entrepreneurs. And I think that you covered, to me, what should be, if not the top four, four of the top five or ten entrepreneurial core values. You know, one is having passion for what you do. One is having a core value to learn and really soak up information from people that are smarter than you and even people that aren't smarter than you. Uh, third is listening, active listening, and really um, prioritizing active listening. And the fourth is give before you seek to get and really give back. You know, and I think, I think you've just articulated all those brilliantly. I, I, I had a client tell me one day that if I put a Mercedes in their yard, they'd put one in mine. And I've never forgotten that. That's pretty cool. And That's good pretty lesson. Cool. Good lesson. Jeff Baker, founder, creative director, president of Image4. Thank you so much for joining thank us Thank you today. so much. This has been very fun. Awesome. All right. Thank you, audience. Uh, we look forward to having you back for another episode of the Mindset Entrepreneur Video Podcast. Have a wonderful day.